Welcome back to The Vault. I've got a special announcement before we get to this week's episode. Arjun has just launched a new podcast called Profit First for Lawyers. If you'd like to learn how to boost your law firm's profits and experience financial confidence like never before, you'll want to listen and subscribe to this podcast. And on August 28th, he's releasing Profit First for Lawyers as a hardcover book as well. You can get all of the details and order the book at www.profitfirstforlawyers.com. Welcome Inside the Vault. This is a collection of previously unreleased lessons from eight-figure entrepreneurial mastermind R. John Robbins. And in case you didn't see the warning label, this content can be explicit and it is for serious entrepreneurs only. Today, R. John teaches the difference between living a problem-oriented and solution-oriented life. Which category do you think you fall into? Which one do you think is more fulfilling? Let's go to the vault. Working with Arjan is like having a shortcut to future you. Every time I can have an opportunity to spend time with Arjan, I try to take it and be a sponge. I thought everyone was crazy. You know, they were running to the front of the stage to see this person. Arjan's wearing his crazy shirt. You know, he drinks tiger blood in the morning just for fun, and he's like breathing down my throat. Sometimes it's terrifying to work with him. It's like he's looking into your soul, but it's, it's growth the whole way. Are you a person who goes through life looking at life as half full or half empty? Who's a half empty kind of person? Probably not most of... Sorry? Who cares as long as there's water in the glass? I care. I want beer. That's why there's beer mugs up there. All right. There's, there's two very different paradigms that people go through life with. And it's important to understand this because this screws up a lot of sales. It screws up a lot of other things in your business also. But since we're talking about sales, I'm only going to focus here on how it screws up sales. There are people who go through life as a problem-oriented person. They go through life seeing problems. And they give a lot of attention to the problems. And they think about those problems over and over and over again. They're always thinking about these problems. They're obsessing about these problems. And what they don't understand is that the way the universe works, the way human psychology works, is that whatever we focus on grows. If you focus on a problem, paradoxically, the problem is actually going to grow. If you focus on a solution, the solution is going to grow. A lot of people go through life, they're very problem-oriented. They see the problem. They talk a lot about their problems. They revel in their problems. They brag about their problems. You go to the average bar function, and you will find a bunch of lawyers who literally are bragging about their problems. My definition of a successful law firm is a firm that serves you financially and personally and professionally. I think most of you probably agree with me. If you go to the average bar function, you'll find lawyers bragging about their problems. They'll brag about their cash flow. 
Oh, my cat, you know, or they'll brag about how many hours they work. Oh, you know, I spent uh, 50 hours in the office last week. If you go to a bar function and someone says, oh, man, I spent 50 hours in the office next, uh, last week, what do you know some other lawyer is going to do? Oh, that's nothing. I spent 60. And then some other lawyers, you know, oh, I'm going to raise the stakes. I spent 70. And they're bragging about how inefficiently they run their business. They brag about how bad their systems are. They brag about how little planning they've done. They brag about this problem. They focus on this problem and they hold this problem as like a red badge of courage. You go to that same bar function and you, and, and you say, oh man, you know, I've got uh, $50,000 in accounts receivables out on the street from my firm. What's some other lawyer you know going to say? I got 60. I got 70. Oh, that's nothing. I got 80. They're bragging about their problem. They're focusing on their problem. They're taking the problem as a point of pride. Now you go to that very same bar function and you report honestly and accurately about your cash flow. I've doubled my business in the last year. Honestly and accurately. I'm working, you know, 30, 40 hours a week most weeks. I've got my business systematized. I'm taking off a month with no with no access to the office except emergency access only. You talk about how your staff is doing a great job. You talk about how you got your accounts receivables almost eliminated or very much under control. And, how, and what are those other lawyers going to say about you? First of all, they're going to either call you a liar, even though it's true, or they're going to say, oh, you're just bragging. Well, how is it that I'm bragging if I report honestly and accurately about good things that are going on in my business, but I'm not bragging if I report honestly and accurately about how shitty things are in my business? Because unfortunately, the legal industry is very much problem-oriented. And what happens when you go through life as a problem-oriented person is you fall into what's called the drama triangle. And the drama triangle... is based on the premise that you are a victim. The victim feels powerless and at the mercy of life's events. The victim may avoid taking responsibility for their actions. The victim finds it easier to blame others or blame their circumstances. The desire to be happy and live a fulfilled life is central to human nature. When challenges arise, the ego wants to minimize or manage the pain that's caused by not having life go as it wishes. For the person with a victim mentality, wanting their situation to be different than it is causes perpetual suffering. This suffering is the heart of the victim mentality and the belief that they will never have what they want. Consequently, victims have difficulty answering the question, what do I want? This is why we begin our relationship with you by asking, what do you want? How much does it cost to live the life you want to be living? How many hours do you want to be giving your business? How do you want your business to perform when you're not there? What do you want And we're not asking you what can you get by with. We're not asking you what would you settle for. We're not asking you what you're willing to do without. We're just asking you a very simple question that any child can answer, which is, what do you want? Victims have a very hard time answering the question, what do I want? Because they're constantly being disappointed because they never really take full responsibility for anything. 
They assuage themselves with excuses and blame. It makes them feel better. The main focus for the person who is operating from a victim orientation is on what they don't want. They focus on what they don't like. It is common to feel anger and resistance from victims. They are unhappy with like circumstances, and because they feel powerless, they can often be full of self-pity and rage and blame. Lots and lots of blame when you run into a victim. Hopelessness is a prevalent inner state for the victim. These feelings can create a strange sense of entitlement to what they don't have. They can seek sympathy by telling exaggerated stories about their pain of bad deeds they committed towards others. Their criticisms of others can turn inward and they can become their own worst persecutor. In order for someone to be a victim, what do they have to have? A persecutor. You can't have a victim without a persecutor, can you? The persecutor can be themselves. They can be self-victimizing. They can be the, both the role of the persecutor and the victim. But whenever you see a victim, you can always, you'll always know that they're looking for a persecutor, someone to blame for their troubles, someone to try to shift their responsibility onto. We are, all the new people, listen to me loud and fucking clear. Me and my team are 100% responsible to you. And you are 100% responsible for yourself. We are not taking responsibility for you. We are merely responsible to you for what we have committed to deliver. But the victims don't do this. Victims will give commitments to take responsibility for other people. Persecutors, persecutors can be either people or conditions, health conditions, economic conditions, natural disaster conditions, political conditions. As persons, when there's a person who's acting as the persecutor, they usually have an underlying fear of their own victimhood. They've usually been victims before. They fear their own victimization and therefore adopt various methods to control, protect, and defend themselves in order to avoid becoming victims. These are people who you ask them to consider hypothetical situations and they have a really hard time just letting their, you know, letting their guard down and let's just play along to get the point. These are the people who are like actively trying to miss the point because they fear losing control. What are you going to try to trick me into? Nothing. I'm just doing a hypothetical situation to try to make a point. They must win and convince others that they are right. They have little compassion for another perspective or way of doing things. Their universe often has been chaotic, insecure, and a place that at some time in their early at some point in their early life they were usually had a lot of chaos and insecurity in their early life. Their parents didn't give them security. Their parents drew their security from them. The universe. Um, So they developed controlling life strategies to survive and minimize the uncertainty that they feel. A persecutor's identity and sense of self is on the line and they are compelled to fight for it. 
where's a perfect place for a persecutor personality to hide out? Being a lawyer, right? The legal industry has a higher percentage per capita of persecutor personality types than probably any other, any other uh, profession. Because you get labeled a badass litigator when what you really are is a persecutor. The persecutor's identity and sense of self is on the line and they are compelled to fight for it. Hence, the persecutor represents the fighter in the fight, flight, freeze, or plays reactive mechanism. They focus on a sense of personal survival and worth by using their control to dominate the situation. A a persecutor's thoughts are about how to stay one up and, and come up with creative strategies to win the day. Now, harnessed in the right way, a persecutor can be an extremely effective lawyer. It just makes them a very bad human being because persecutors require victims. I'm being serious. It makes them a bad human being because persecutors require victims, which is why they have such a hard time keeping staff, motivating staff, managing staff, making a profit with staff. They have a hard time really empowering their clients. They turn their clients into victims too. When the persecutor is a person, he or she is symbolically linked to the victim, linked to the victim and seeks to dominate either overtly or covertly and maintain a one-up position through a variety of assertive and or manipulative means. Often the persecutor's behavior is driven by his or her fear of becoming or re-becoming a victim and loss of control. And And now here's someone who's really dangerous that I'm about to introduce you to. And this is the personality type that really, really makes my life more difficult and actually makes your lives more difficult also. And that is the rescuer. The rescuer. Now, it's important to keep in mind, the rescuer, what do you have to have if you're going to be a rescuer? You got to have a victim, right? And now at first, the rescuer could look like a knight in shining armor. Oh, this person is so nice. They've come to help me. They haven't come to help you. They've come to rescue you. And they need to keep you a victim. This is the person who will pull you out of the water while you're drowning with sharks surrounding you. They'll pull you out of the boat. And once they've got you dried up and you're finished thanking them, boom, they'll kick you back in the water because they need another victim to rescue. Rescuers look for victims to save and often are quick to jump in and save the day even when others are responsible. By fixing and saving others, a rescuer believes that others will appreciate them and value them for their good deeds. They're trying to get self-esteem. They're trying to get love from the victims. Rescuers feel an obligation and urgency to change or fix, in their view, what is not going well. They're not patient. They can't just sit there and just let the tension be there. The rescuer can't stand the tension. They're the ones who like when you see someone crying at the microphone at some events, the rescuer is the one who's like so uncomfortable that they run up with tissues. I got to rescue that person. They're crying. Everyone look at me. Look how great I am. I'm rescuing this person. I'm breaking the tension.
Rescuers often attract others who seem incapable of helping themselves. They feel there is always someone in a crisis needing their help. Similar to victims, they focus on what is not working, so they always have a job to do and fix something. What happens if you've got a rescuer on your staff? Shit's going to be going wrong a lot. You get an office administrator or a legal administrator who's a rescuer and you are in for one hell of a bad ride in front of you. Hmm? He can testify. Testify. I'm saying this because, I, because we all have elements of this in our own personalities. Every, you know, no one is entirely not a persecutor. Everyone's got a little bit of this, of this in you. And the key is to find it, spot it, see it. Take the time to, to, to discover it so you can always be on guard. And whenever you find yourself being the persecutor, whenever you find yourself being the, re- the victim, whenever you find yourself being the rescuer, stamp it out. Rescuers have a sixth sense about who needs help. If there's a needy person in the room or team, the rescuer, like a searchlight, focuses on that person and what they can do to assist. Resisting conflict, they think about ways to make everyone happy. Oh, that's another thing. Rescuers are usually very passive-aggressive. They're afraid of conflict. They're accommodating and pleasing, so they think about ways to be useful and helpful. Rescuers adopt the please in the fight, flight, freeze, or please reactive mechanism. Despite often having helpful intentions, rescuers as a person reinforces the victim's poor me self-identity and reinforces the victim's sense of powerlessness. Rescuers buy into their client's problems. Rescuers buy into the problem. They accept the premise upon which the problem is based because they want the person to remain a victim. Now, a different way to go through life than a victim is to go through life as what's called a creator. There are two primary characteristics of being a creator. Increasing one's capacity to envision and create outcomes by answering the question, what do I want? And choosing your responses to life circumstances, even when problems arise. Shit's going to go wrong. Problems are going to arise. You're going to fall on your ass. And when you're not falling on your ass, you're going to fall on your face. The question is, when you fall on your ass or your face, do you say, poor me? Someone should have caught me. It's someone else's fault. I'm a victim, or do you say, I've, now that I'm on my face, what choices do I want to make from here to move myself forward? Because maybe now that I'm down on my face, I have a different perspective on the world, and I can see something that I might not have otherwise seen, and I can spot an opportunity I might not have otherwise spotted. Hey, this is actually pretty cool. Falling on my face could have been the best thing that ever happened for me. That's the creator's outlook. A creator's responses are based on thoughtful evaluation of the situation and then choosing appropriate steps towards an outcome rather than reacting from a problem-focused orientation. 
In doing so, a creator works toward the desired outcomes instead of reacting to or avoiding the problems. Creators have budgets. Creators have business plans. Creators have plans and strategies and have their calendars planned out in advance and they're not afraid of discovering problems through that process because the process design is designed to help them find the problem so they can do something about it. Victims don't have these things. Victims hide out from these things because then they're afraid they're going to have to take action and then they lose their victim status. Poor me. The focus in the creator's orientation is a vision or an outcome. You orient your thoughts and actions towards creating what you want to see or experience in life. Sometimes the vision or the outcome may be completely clear to you. At other times, it may be only vague with only a general idea, a vague idea where you want to go. How many people believe that what's stopping you from doubling your business, what's stopping you from having a $10 million law firm is that you don't have a clear vision of that business. Raise your hands, raise your hands, raise your hands. Okay, you don't need a clear vision of that business. You don't need to have a clear vision of your $10 million firm. You don't need to have a clear vision of your $5 million firm or your $2 million firm. Just get a vision of the firm being 25% better than it is now. Get a vision of the firm being 100% better than it is right now. And when you get to that place, you'll get a new perspective and then you'll be able to create a better vision for the next step in the journey. But too many people who are afraid of committing to a vision or afraid of the vision, they just say, oh, I don't have a vision, so I won't do anything until suddenly a vision just pops into my head from nowhere. The contrary to the persecutor is the challenger. The challenger is someone who might provoke you The challenger is someone who might instigate you. The challenger is someone who might really bust your balls and demand that you step up your game. The challenger may, you know, really make you angry. But the key is that the challenger is doing this to help you find your power, to help you find your own vision, to help you find your own way, because the challenger fundamentally believes that you are a capable person. The challenger sees you as a creator and challenges you to step up into your full potential as opposed to the persecutor who sees you as a victim and needs to keep you down. The challenger serves as a catalyst for change, learning and growth and creates opportunities for thoughtful action. A challenger can be a condition, a person or a situation. It is the positive alternative to the persecutor. Challengers ask themselves, what is my intention? To look good or to help this person? A challenger approaches life and relationships with a learning intent and builds up rather than puts down. Do you do that for your clients? Because if you go through life as a challenger, then you see sales as a service 
If you go through life as a persecutor, you see sales as something you're doing to the other person. And last, the alternative to the uh, rescuer is the coach. First and foremost, a coach knows he or she is a creator and sees other people as creators also. A coach leaves power with other creators and seeks only to help facilitate personal growth. A coach is an embodiment of a creator's desire to share the power with other people. A coach views others as being ultimately capable and resourceful and responsible for themselves. A coach sees each person as a creator in their own right and seeks to support them in the process of creating outcomes. A coach asks questions that help clarify envisioned outcomes, current realities, and possible small, and, and possible small sequential out- actions that lead toward lasting change. A coach dares the creator to dream and look for pathways for bringing their envisioned outcomes to fruition. A coach supports yet keeps the power with the other person. A coach encourages independence and interdependence with those they serve. When you go through life doing this, this is how you actually put yourself into an opportunity solution-based outlook on life. You see, if you focus on the problems, you end up as a victim. But if you focus on the opportunities, you end up with an opportunity solution-based outlook on life. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Tune in next week for more lessons from the vault.